the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. You've been hearing about it. You've been pining for it. You are excited about it because it's time to pick some locks. Joined back here as uh, as we will be every Thursday morning to record a, a fresh batch of locks for you. It's Barton Simmons. It's Tom Fernelli. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Great. We are, yeah, we just finished our morning cup of coffee, so we are energetic and ready to lock things up. It's so good. It just feels so good to be back in the back in the saddle, back in the cockpit of this uh, of this locks rocket ship. <laughs> which is which is going to where, Barton? Uh, to the to the to the moon and no, beyond. We're going to Out. Mars. Yeah, first uh, pod on Mars. <laughs> Award winning. Put us put us in the featured section of your Apple Podcasts. We're on Mars. Um, all right. So for the purposes of pacing, how how many locks are we thinking about right now? What's what's the pad looking like? Uh, I, I've got. I think I'm going to end up landing on eight. Okay. I've, I, I, I'm locked in on seven, but there's an eighth that the, the further we go along, I'll probably be adding to the docket. I think I think I'm probably sitting going to end up sitting around nine, but I am prepared. I have quivers. I have a quiver full of arrows that can have me firing seventeen shots if needed. <laughs> Chip, how is that? How is that operation going to work? There is it just um, you know. You can feel feel it in your bones, and if you just kind of get a a tingle, you're gonna rock it. Or what? What's what is gonna be the decision making process for 17? Whether or not I want to hear uh, sound effects, whether be they, yeah, uh, be. Uh, yeah, be <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, whether whether it's gonna bring together uh, some some lock unity or whether it, it's gonna trigger a lock fight. I just I'm 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 giddy. I, I mean, it's 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 lock season. I want to be able to hit all the buttons. So I am prepared uh, on a, you know, I try to bring integrity to this. I am prepared intellectually to argue up to 17. I can't wait till the end of the year when Chip has the lead in the standings, but then he loses because he picked 15th to win total locks. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. Um, all right. Well, uh, y'all ready to lock it up? Let's go. We're picking locks. My blue plate special five-star locks are coming. Come get these locks. Five-star master lock. Lock it up. You want these locks? I'm, I'm, I'm living and dying every, every point, every cover. Do we remember who won? 
last year? Barton did. He went like eight and zero in bowl season. Barton. It was a it was a miraculous um, comeback for the history books. Well then, I, uh, I think I remember I had more wins overall, but he had a better win percentage and a higher units. So it was yeah. So it was a it was either a t- tie or a win that could be, you know, split one way or the other depending on your 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 criteria. But um, either way, it was a it was I, literally I think I I think I went I think you're right I think I went eight and zero. Yeah, you went eight and zero. Yeah. I remember that. Gracious. I've, been, I've got it written on a plaque above my bed, and I look at it before going to sleep every <laughs> night for motivation. <laughs> All right, Varden, will you get us started? Uh, yeah, okay. Happy to do that. Um, and, and I'm going to get us started um, in the SEC, and I've got Ole Miss under five is my pick. And before I dig into it, I'd like to throw this nugget out there. This is, in fact, dentist approved. Oh, oh. So we we have got, yeah we've got a we've got a dental a dental recommendation on top of this. Uh, the dentist, I think he went seven one and one last year in his uh, in his locks. Um, so on top of that, which might just be enough, um, I, I got some other thoughts on this. One. They went five and seven last year with a roster that's going to be significantly more talented than the one that they've got this year. Like that five and seven team, the bulk of that five and seven team was a number five recruiting class of which many of those guys got um, drafted in the like first three rounds of the NFL draft. The, the bulk and the heart of this this team is going to be based on a number 32 or number 31 recruiting class. Um, you know, this is not a team that, uh, I mean, the, the, the SEC West is, is rising up. They got to play Memphis, not conference. Um, they, they could go, they could go anywhere from four and zero to one and three in the non-conference. Um, I think that, there's a lot being made of Ole Miss hiring a couple former head coaches as their coordinators and how that's going to be some sort of a, um, I, I don't know, that, that's going to be what propels them to new heights. But I think one thing that's important to remember about the new coach hires here, Mike McIntyre, yeah, he was the head coach at Colorado and he was like coach of the year or something back in 20. 20- 16 or 17. Oh, he was national coach of the year. Right. Um, but the last time that he was a defensive coordinator was at Duke in 2008 and 2009. Those Duke teams went four and eight and five and seven. And his yards per play was 64th and 80th in defensive yards per play. So don't think about hiring a former Pac-12 head coach, which again is a defensive coordinator. So are you excited about hiring the defensive coordinator of the 70th best defense in the country? Because that might be what you're getting. Damn. Like, And when you think about what you're walking into in the SEC, the defensive coordinators that he's playing against 
Who, like, who wears the advantage? Is Mike McIntyre better than John Chavis? Justin Wilcox from Cal? Pete Golding at Alabama? Is he better than Derek Mason and, and Jason Tarver, who was just at the Oakland Raiders two years ago as defensive coordinator? Uh, Mike Elko? Dave Aranda? Bob Shoup? Like, it's like everyone's a good defensive coordinator. So that's not getting me that all, all jacked up. Then you got Rich Rodriguez as the offensive coordinator. That's great. And Rich Rodriguez, I, I have a little bit more, more faith in in terms of being someone that's going to bring this new style to to Ole Miss, but you got this emotionally charged quarterback running this option offense. Uh, you've got this. I, I, I uh, he's going to take some shots along the way. If some losses start piling up, like what is that going to mean for the 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 sort of the leadership uh, from a young team that's. Uh, got a quarterback that's a, again taking some shots, running the the option. There, there's just nothing about this team that gets me excited or optimistic about them going six and six. Uh, considering they've they've won six games once in the last three years, and this is the by far the least talented of those three teams. I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it either. I mean, I've got him. I think I had him going five and seven in my when I was trying to figure out going team by team. So yeah, no, I don't think they're going over for sure. Do we think that Richrod is going to be on the field or in the booth? Does that change your opinion one way or the other? No, I'm just trying to imagine if we can get Richrod chewing out Matt Corral on national television. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really what I'm going for here because uh, Richrod wants to wants you to make the right decision and, and based on you know things that we've seen with our own eyes, heard and otherwise, I feel like Matt Corral is not always going to make the right decision. Um, yeah, I bet he's on the field. He's been on the field for, I mean, when was the last time he wasn't on the field? Well, he's been uh, a head coach yeah, he's, for... He's called offenses as a head coach on yeah. the field for the past uh, however many years. So, yeah, I bet he's on the field right there getting ready to get in, get in somebody's ass. Please, please grab a face mask. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> little little Matt Corral getting yanked around. Uh, just coming, coming to national television uh, on a TV set near you. Tom, what you got? Uh, I'm starting in the ACC with a non-Clemson team. My lock, my first lock is Syracuse over seven and a half. Mm-hmm. This is a team. Like, what are they ranked in the polls right now to start the season? Like top fifteen or so. Twenty. Uh, are they up in the top fifteen? Nice. They that might have been the CBS one thirty that I'm thinking of, not the coaches poll. But I mean, this is just a team that I think you know. This they were very good last year, and they lose a decent amount of production and overall starters, but they have a ton of experience coming back on the offensive line. And as we've seen with Dino Babbers and that, you know, typical Baylor offense as it is, it's never been a system that's really had a lot of trouble replacing guys at skill positions and still getting that kind of production. So the fact that it has a very experienced offensive line coming back is what makes me think that the offense is going to keep ticking at pretty much the same rate we saw last season. And if you look at their schedule, I mean, they open up with two road games, which is strange, but they're Liberty and Maryland. And while that Liberty game is going to be tricky, I still think they win that. They should beat Maryland on the road. Then they'll lose to Clemson. But after that, you look at the schedule, and the only games where you're truly worried are on the road at NC State, on the road at Florida State, and then other than that, everything seems very winnable. So to me, I feel like this is a worst-case scenario 8-4 and four team, and I feel like it's more closer to a 9-3, and 10-2 team than that. So 
I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the over seven and a half here. Lock agreement. I'm, there we go. We're picking locks. I'm in on Syracuse. Uh, I've I've mentioned it on this podcast a little bit, but what what I think will surprise you will be Syracuse's defense. They're really good in the defensive line, and Andre Cisco, uh, a, a a CBS Sports. All-American pick and certainly an All-American candidate all the way through. They're also nasty on special teams. Their punter and kicker are good, and uh, I'm a I'm a Tommy DeVito fanboy. You know, any anybody who's been spending the offseason working on his tan as opposed to studying the playbook is going to have the moxie to get it done in the up-tempo <laughs> offense. So I'm uh I'm I'm in on a lock agreement, Barton. No, hell no. Uh, I got I, okay. I have no idea. <laughs> I am I am pleading ignorant on Syracuse. I think I said it earlier when we were talking Syracuse. Like they are probably the team I have the like the least amount of confidence that I that I kind of know where they are, who they are. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Hey, sounds good to me. Seven and a half, eight, eight and four, nine and three, ten and two. Those all sound like they're they're pretty re- reasonable. So. Have at it, boys. All right. Um, I will I will keep us in the ACC Atlantic, but I will take us to the Clemson Tigers because this is a doggone principle pick that I'm going under the 11 and a half. This Whoa. team is so young, and I believe that there is you know, you know great leadership within that program, and they've done like an, an awesome job of – you know, building everything up all the way to you know now standing on the top of the mountain that is college football. But like, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we're, I think this really is like a, a sixty plus, maybe even more uh, players on the roster are freshmen or sophomores. And there's there's sort of two ways to attack this. The first is um, it is really really hard. To, to maintain your focus and not like they come out of the gates with Georgia Tech, Texas A&M, and this game at Syracuse, which, by the way, the Carrier Dome is going to be uh, a pretty awesome atmosphere, and that is a place where Clemson has lost before. But uh, what about late in the season when they've got all these games where they're going to be favored by 28 points against ACC opponents? And this is a young, young team. I think that last year during the time between the end of the ACC championship and the college football playoff, some of it was cliche, but I do put a lot of value in it. Just the the leadership on that team, the straight-up seniors or the redshirt juniors that were kind of keeping everything focused and keeping everything together. Like they, This, this Clemson team is uber-talented, but I do not believe that uh, we should look at we should look at them as for sure going to be able to go 12 and 0. I mean, they just won 15 games last season without a loss. Now they're just going to run off 12 more. I feel like I'm playing a little bit of the odds. I feel like a Clemson team could go 11 and 1 and still win a national championship, but with uh with the Texas A&M game, the Syracuse game and then basically them just sort of facing themselves and trying not to get in their own way, uh, I will be locking up the under 11 and a half. So let me ask you this. Do you have on your 17 options list, do you have Alabama on there anywhere? I do not. So that's interesting to me that you think Clemson is the more likely uh, one-loss team than Alabama. Um, I'm not saying I agree or disagree. Oh, I guess I'm saying if I were to lean one was going to lose a game, 
I think I might would lean towards Alabama more than Clemson. Alabama certainly has a tougher division and a tougher, but not necessarily a tougher conference. What's their, uh, what's their other, they've got Tennessee and who else coming from the East on their schedule this year? Let's see. Let's find out. Their other East team is South Carolina. That's a yeah. win. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I'm I, I think that this is like again, the Syracuse game, the Pittsburgh game, like there there are examples of championship winning Clemson teams just taking an L. And if Chase Bryce doesn't like somehow will that team to a win against Syracuse last year, I mean they've they've played with fire a lot, and it is awesome that they they've have. reached this moment. I'm I, I just think that like comeuppance can come. And they could still win a national championship. Eleven and a half. I'll take the under. Um. All right. Wow. I respect. I respect that pick. I'm. Uh, I'm with you. I'm just not gonna lock it up because I. <laughs> I feel like I'm putting way too much faith in the rest of the ACC. <laughs> you're gonna catch me in. Uh, in like, catch me in late November. Just way hyping up South Carolina's chances to pull an upset as 11-0 Clemson is going to Columbia. They've been building toward it all season, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Catch me out here trying to on CBS Sports HQ trying to talk you into at Louisville being a trap game after Florida State on October 19th. <laughs> Scott Satterfield's going to have him ready. And this, it, is it, his, this is Satterfield's signature moment. This is the one they've been waiting for. Uh, all right, Barton, back to you. Uh, all right, so let me go. Um, I'm going to go mainstream here as well, and I'm going to look at Notre Dame. And I've got the fan duel number for this is eight and a half. So I've, you know, I know like it's, this, it's nine out there in places as well. Um, I'm using eight and a half because that's a that's an updated number at FanDuel, and I'll take it. Uh, I'm going over the total here. So, <clears throat> do you guys remember when was the last time you saw red face Brian Kelly? In my dreams. I mean, I because your point is that he 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 does seem to have calmed his demeanor since like 2012. Yes. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw red-faced Brian Kelly. It was at and, Brandon Wimbush. He definitely got a red face yelling at Brandon Wimbush at some point. <laughs> I am very, I'm very year, certain I remember. Or, no, or a 2017 Brandon Wimbush. 2017 Brandon Wimbush when he didn't really have another option and Ian Book wasn't ready yet. Okay. So the, the, the red-faced Brian Kelly is, is slowly starting to, to fade away. And 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 I think Brian Kelly, in general, is becoming a much more comfortable uh, coach in in where his system program is, the the staff he's compiled around him. Uh, I think this is a program that is recruiting, but I think more importantly, developing at a an elite level. Um, I think that their their coaching staff is is really good. I think their uh, their support staff is really good, and I look at their schedule. And I mean, there's a chance that there's a you know USC could cycle up. I know Chip's on that train, uh, 
there's a chance that I guess you know Virginia is better than sort of what we're used to them looking like. Uh, but I also think that there's a chance that this program, with where it is right now, could beat a Georgia or a Notre Dame, or I'm sorry, Georgia or a uh, or Michigan. Uh, so while the schedule is not easy, I look at it and I think they should be favored in probably ten games. Um, and I also think that, like Washington went to the College Football Playoffs uh, in what 2016. Uh, yes. Went eleven and one. Went to the college football playoffs. Washington then sort of cycled back, or at at ten and two the following year, and nine and three last year. So I, I don't think that Notre Dame's like cycle back is eight and four, seven and five. I think it's ten and two, eleven and one, maybe nine and three. I I, I think that this is. When you look at just the personnel, I mean, and to keep in mind too, Ian Book is a guy that wasn't even supposed to be the starter last year. Like he's still growing. They returned their whole offensive line. They still have playmakers at the skill positions, led by Chase Claypool. They have uh, one of the best edge rush bookend duo in the country. They're significantly more talented on the back end than they've than they've been. Alohi Gilman, I think, is is uh, is one of the better safeties in the country. So there's just a lot that I like about this Notre Dame team that I think people are overlooking because they just assume, well, it was a lucky run last year. Now they'll come back down to earth. Eight and four. Here we go. I, I feel pretty confident it's going to be at the very least nine and three. Lock agreement. Ooh. We're picking locks. All right, Tom. I've I've got Notre Dame going ten and two, but I'm not locking it up. Okay, no, I'm uh, I'm, I just I I believe that there is not a single game on Notre Dame's schedule that they cannot win. I will agree, and if if I will agree with the board on uh, being able to catch it at eight and eight and a half because I love it. I was even prepared to to lock up nine just with the idea that man, I just I I don't see. I don't see this team going eight and four when I look at the schedule and I could see Notre Dame winning every single game. I don't think they're going 12 and 0. Don't think they're going 11 and one, but I think a 10 and two playing in a new year six bowl seems about right after going 12 and 0 and making the college football playoff for, uh, for sort of where the, where the, as you mentioned and explained uh, very well for where the Notre Dame program is right now. Nice. Tom. Glad to have you aboard. I think I think my next lock might be a little controversial. I'm taking South Florida over six and a half. Interesting. And this is the team I think that you know it finished ugly last year, and even when it got off to the hot start, it wasn't. It was kind of the seven and zero record kind of masked problems that were there, but. I feel like that's led to them being underestimated a bit coming into the season because if you look at this roster, it's one of the more experienced teams in the country, not just the American Athletic Conference. It's got the senior quarterback. It has a veteran offensive line, and when I go through its schedule, like it's probably going to lose that opener against Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's coming to Tampa, and we don't really know who Wisconsin is, so I can't guarantee that's a loss. That could be an early week upset at Georgia Tech should be difficult on paper, but with Georgia Tech going transitioning from a flex bone offense to whatever it's going to be now, that's probably not a team that's going to be going full gear yet. So I, I think that they could be one and one coming out of that. 
And then afterwards, it's like, who's the big game on their schedule? They get Memphis and UCF to finish the season with Cincinnati. But I think that this is a team that's going to get to eight wins at a minimum, even if they lose all three of those, because I don't see any other losses on this schedule for them. And I just think that they're being underestimated. And while I'm not super confident in Charlie Strong, at least not like I used to be, I think you give him a veteran team with a veteran offensive line, and he's going to put together a respectable season, and they'll probably be the second-best team in the East Division. Yeah, so I looked at – so when I was just sort of doing my – um, my broader overview of teams I liked, coaches I liked, coaches I didn't, I zeroed in on USF and I said, let me take a look at USF because I've been fading them for two years now. That was a fraudulent 10-2 and two in 2017. That was a fraudulent 7-0 and last year. I, I think I made a pretty good chunk of money on the back end of that schedule fading USF late. And so I figured... Let's dig in, and and this is probably another fade USF opportunity. And then I kind of did a little more research, and I agree with you. Uh, I think Vegas has um, overcompensated a little bit, or or you know they they've they've sniffed Charlie Strong out as well to the point now where I think the value is on the other side. So I I'm not playing it. I I looked at it as a potential underplay, and then I realized that's probably not smart. So I'm. Uh, I'm actually okay with this play here, Tom. I think that's. Uh, I think you're on the right side of it. I'd do it. Come on, join me. <laughs> oh no, 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 I, no! I will not. You will not find me <laughs> taking an over on this on a Charlie Strong USF team. I don't care what the number is. The uh, I I feel like that Wisconsin game is going to get real crampy for the Badgers. You know, they're just they the 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 physical condition that you got to be in to come play in Tampa at that time of year. I could I could see Blake Barnett speeding them up and just uh, and that just being a strange strange game. I could definitely see the Bulls winning. And there's there's just like there's a lot of wins in the against the bottom half of the American Athletic Conference. Six. If yes. you're if you're trying to get to seven, it's really nice to have like UConn on the schedule and a few of those other teams where you're like, oh well, yep, 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 tick it off, tick it off, tick it off. So uh, I don't disagree, but I won't be locking it up. One of the reasons I won't be locking it up is because. I don't agree with they will be the second best team. Well, they could be the second best team in the AAC, but I'm going with someone else because my American Athletic Conference East Division champion prediction this year is going to be a team that I'm taking the over on their win total. I'm going with Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats over seven and a half. Whoo! They catch. They they bring. So last year. You know, that was like, oh, you know, oh my gosh, like things have, this is one of the best, like one year turnarounds, a lot of excitement. Yay, yay, yay. Bring, bring back a ton from that group. And they weren't like, they, they kind of looked a little bit outclassed when that uh, game against UCF came. And, you know, that was one where like UCF didn't blow them out, but they definitely had the advantage pretty much from the jump. Now that game is going to be in Cincinnati, uh, I believe in mid October. And so as I was doing the win loss and as I was trying to shake everything out, I was like, I, I'm going to throw this one Cincinnati's way. And then you continue to mark through the schedule. I think it's very possible that Cincinnati could take uh, another loss in conference play. And obviously when you're looking at that non-con Ohio state is there. So that's going to be a loss, but even still I've, I, I keep running the numbers and I keep having this being a team that is uh, probably nine and three, 
with a head-to-head tiebreaker, winning the AAC East and making it to the AAC title game. So when you're giving me seven and a half and I keep running numbers and getting nine and three, I really like my value. I'm going with the Bearcats over seven and a half. That UCLA opener is going to be interesting because, I mean, they beat them last year. And, you know, both teams kind of return about the same sort of level of the squad last year. Right. So, I, you know, you look at you oh. look at that, those first two games and you sort of assume you're supposed to tally up two losses, but they, they could they could get UCLA again I, at home on a Thursday night. I am counting that as a win. I think I think Cincinnati is uh, like we've we're, we've had these discussions a little bit, and I, I think that um, it'll come into play with at least another one later. Um, and Tom, you you and I were kicking this around, but uh, I believe Cincinnati is ahead of UCLA. Like it's it's just ahead of schedule. It literally is uh, a year ahead, and uh, I believe that Cincinnati will maintain that kind of advantage. I've got that one as a win for the Bearcats. Yeah, I, I think it's I think Cincinnati's probably a better team than UCLA right now, but it's still I don't I'm not ready to guarantee it. I think Cincinnati's gonna take a step back Ooh. this year. I mean I don't I'm not taking under. I still have them finishing with more than they're projected to get by Vegas, but I don't think this is a team that's gonna be competing for the East Division. Like I said, I've got South Florida finishing second ahead of Cincinnati. They'll be in third. I've still got UCF at the top of the division, but I don't think taking the over is a bad play. I'm just not as into the Bearcats as you seem to be. I'm very into the Bearcats. Okay, Barton, back to you. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go with another um, pretty mainstream pick here, um, and I'm going to talk Michigan Wolverines. Mm. The line is is 10 and a half most places now. Am I wrong on that? Uh, uh, I've got it at nine and a half, actually. No, I saw it. I, I thought I saw it at ten and a half on FanDuel at the very least, and it was. It definitely was. It if it and it was. If it wasn't ten and a half on Westgate, it was ten. I got it at nine and a half on Bet Online, but I think we might be going different directions. So, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe there's a maybe there's a middle there, but uh, for you, uh, well, I at ten and a half, I'm pretty confidently in the under for Michigan. Um, and here's why. I think, I mean, first of all, yeah, they, they do have a, a good home slate. Um, they've got Michigan State at home. They've got Ohio State at home. Uh, and they've got Notre Dame at home. Uh, but the Michigan home field advantage in the big house is it's not like one of the most uh, daunting settings of any program in the country. Like that's, they've lost four games in the last three years in the big house. Um, So that I think is, is, is less concerning to me. There's also the fact that they have, they, I mean, we're just assuming that you're going to be able to, you know, backfill, all these NFL guys and yeah, I mean, they're good. They stay recruited well and they have talent, but Devin Bush and Chase Vint Winovich strike me as two of the better leaders and alpha personalities on a football field that you're good. Like 
those type of guys don't come around very often. That doesn't even mention Rashawn Gary, who just from a talent standpoint was a freak show. So you can't just just sort of wipe those guys away and, and expect the defense to just be status quo. Um, they lose Karan Higdon on offense. Uh, that's really the one spot that that you know concerns me a little bit on in the run game. Uh, and then at the you know and and then you got Josh Gaddis coming in, who is is I think a really good coach and well respected and all that. Not by but, Mike Loxley. Not by Mike Loxley. <laughs> not by Mike Loxley. But like we've we've he's been anointed, man. Like like Josh Gaddis is. It's amazing how much how much Michigan is being sort of crowned based just on them switching to a spread offense. And you know, let's let let's let Josh Gaddis dig in here a little bit and and prove something first. And then everyone's also assuming they're gonna beat Ohio State. And I assume you're gonna be on the over here, Tom. So I'm gonna I'm gonna looking forward to hearing your explanation for how they're gonna beat Ohio State. When Ohio State's won this last seven, they've won 14 of the last 15. Like the idea that they're just due to beat Ohio State doesn't doesn't jive with me. So I I am on. I think this is a. I do not think this is an 11 and one team, and I think more this team is much more likely to be nine and three than 11 and one. And so I'm on under 10 and a half. I'll, I'll figure out where I got that number. I'm pretty sure I got it at maybe FanDuel. Uh, but I, but that number is definitely out there. Well, um, I'll leave this to the judge, Chip Patterson. But I'm looking at Fanduel; they're at nine and a half there. Uh, well, then I need to swipe this thing clean if there's not a ten and a half somewhere. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, we'll let the judge decide. Judge, Ju- I mean, if if Fanduel is showing nine and a half right now, and if the uh... let me find my Westgate numbers here because those are the those are the two numbers I was working with. But I'm just gonna we can we're gonna scrap this thing if I'm just making up numbers. <laughs> well, I'll go uh, just while you're looking. Yeah, you. I'm on the over for Michigan. I'm not locking it up. It's not one of my locks. Oh, I, okay. Put away the lock fight. Yeah, no, not a lock. <laughs> Sorry, Chip. Chip f- finger was hovering over that button. Like, yeah, come on, do it, do it. But uh, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying as far as them being anointed. But I also feel like you asked at the end why are we assuming they could beat Ohio State I'm not assuming they could beat Ohio State but I think that they can beat Ohio State mostly because first of all the game's in Ann Arbor this year and second of all a lot of the things you were talking about with Michigan where we're just assuming Josh Gaddis is going to come in and run a spread offense and everything's going to be good can be applied to Ohio State in a lot of ways and just simply assuming that Ryan Day is going to step in and be able to maintain everything that Urban Meyer did now we've talked about it before too I, don't, I think there's going to be a step backward, or at least it's likely to happen. I'm not sure it happens this year. I think it's more of a long-term problem or a long-term situation to watch if Ryan Day can maintain what Urban Meyer built there. But there's also the situation where Justin Fields is stepping in as Ohio State's quarterback, and we have no idea who he is yet. He was a highly rated recruit, but he couldn't win the job at Georgia, and when he was on the field at Georgia... He had some good moments, but there was also a lot of, eh, I don't know. So I'm not ready to assume that he's going to step in. Ohio State's offense is going to be firing on all cylinders. Ryan Day is going to be able to put together an, you know, a conference-winning season because we look back to the past. This isn't the first time this has happened at Ohio State. Jim Trestle had to leave the job for reasons he it wasn't really by his choice. Luke Fickle comes in, very familiar with the program. He'd been an assistant under Trestle for years. 
takes over pretty much the same team. They lost a few key players, but they went from 11 and 1 to 6 and 6. So that's a huge drop off. I don't think that happens this year, but I don't think Ohio State's an impenetrable juggernaut. So when I look at Michigan, I see a team the last few years whose biggest problem has been they were able to beat up on bad teams playing a boring vanilla offense simply because they were able to out-talent them. And they just relied on that talent to win over the course of 60 minutes. By bringing in Gaddis and going more up-tempo on offense, the more plays you run, the more likely talent is to win out in the long run. And while they have key players to replace on defense, Jim Harbaugh and that staff has recruited just fine over the last few years. And Don Brown is a very good defensive coordinator. So I'm not all that worried about Michigan's defense maintaining its level. So those are the reasons why I'm on the over. But I think at nine and a half, they can lose to Ohio State and still finish with 10 wins. Okay. So first things first, the Westgate does have it at 10 and a half. So so I got it at 10 and a half. I would encourage anyone that, that's, that's. I'm going to try to middle this bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might not be a bad play because ten and two is is like a reasonable spot for them. I think. Yes. But to respond to some of your your comments there on the Ryan Day thing, yeah, like you can make that case, but you can also turn around and make a case for looking what at, at what Leakin Riley's done at Oklahoma. I mean, he 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 took that thing to the next level, taking over for a Hall of Fame coach. Ryan Day has similar hype surrounding him as a offensive coach and he had and he they, they did just fine with him as the head coach for the first three games last year um and and i think also when you look at what urban meyer like the reason urban meyer is such a great coach i would argue is has less to do with his in-game coaching and scheming and and more to do with his ability to sustain recruit motivate keep people focused on the little things over the long haul. And so whether Ryan Day can sustain to the level Urban Meyer has is is something that is absolutely up for debate. Whether Ryan Day is equipped to keep Ohio State on the same level Urban Meyer has in one season or even, I would say, elevate them because of because he is, I, I, would, I, I, I think, or I suspect, he is a better offensive coach in season than Urban Meyer. Uh, we'll find out. I could be wrong on that, but that's my suspicion. So I think one year, one season, inheriting an Urban Meyer built roster is almost like the perfect scenario for Ohio State. Fair enough, but I think Lincoln Riley's the exception to the rule more than the rule. He may be. He may be. We'll find out. I we'll find I, out. I will say that uh, Ur- Urban Meyer's winning at Ohio State seems unsustainable. That said, I'm not ready to think that this group that ha- doesn't like uh, they absolutely have in their DNA getting that ass beat like one game like at Iowa or something, but they do not have in their DNA going eight and four. Just doesn't seem like that's in that locker room. But no, uh, I, I don't have any Ohio State plays, and uh, I will. I, I tried to you know do some quick quick research here. The uh, the local establishment had Michigan's win total at ten, but round numbers are for cowards. So I will give you ten and a half. <laughs> hey, the Westgate is out there. Like you, I can find this number. That is the, that is a legitimate source to make a bet. So I'm I feel no uh, 
no conf- conflict taking ten and a half. Okay. Westgate is confident in Michigan. Very confident. Um, well, all those Michigan men have been uh, have been pushing the number up with their <laughs> uh, with their heavy wagers. Uh, all right, so Tom, I believe it is your turn to uh, to offer up a pick. Another one that might raise some eyebrows. I'm taking Kentucky over six and a half. Shoo! I just think that coming off of what was a nine-win season in the regular season and finishing with 10 wins. This is a team that lost a lot. I'm not going to argue otherwise. There's there's plenty of production that they need to replace. It. I mean, Benny Snell was pretty much the offense for the most part. He's gone. But the good news is offensively, Terry Wilson's back at quarterback, and I think that he was he wasn't great last year, but as the year went on, I think he got more comfortable in what they were doing. And plus, let's he he played you know great against Florida at Florida. That was a very big game for Kentucky. And I just think that this is a team that's probably not going to win nine games again, but it should get to seven and five in an SEC East division. That I still think that after Georgia and Florida, there's a lot of room for maneuvering. And if you look at that schedule. Out of conference, they're getting Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and Tennessee Martin all in Lexington. Those three should be wins, although the Toledo game will be tricky. From the West, they get Mississippi State and uh, Arkansas, which if you're drawing two teams from the West, those are probably two of the ones that you'd prefer over other options. And that Mississippi State road game will be tough, but I also expect Mississippi State to maybe take a slight step backwards this year, so I'm not that confident in them. I think that's a winnable game. I just look at through this and I see all these games. It's like Toledo, they can win. Eastern Michigan, they can win. Florida, they're probably losing. Mississippi State, they can win. South Carolina, they can win. Arkansas, they should win. Georgia, they're going to lose. Mizzou at home, they could win. Tennessee at home, they should win. Vandy on the road, they could win. Tennessee Martin, they're going to win. Louisville at home, they could win. They're going to be in every single game. And I still think that this is a team that's talented enough that and they're kind of the system's been in place long enough that I think that while nine wins again is going to be the outlier type of season that we shouldn't come to expect, this is a seven and five team. This is a team that should be going to a bowl game and not just getting there by the skin of its teeth. So I'm locking it up, Kentucky over six and a half. Respect. I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not like I. I don't want to be the guy that's. I mean, I'm. I'm happy. To, to see you on this and I, I don't want to be the guy that's doubting Kentucky for no reason and they've 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 pr- they've proven a lot but I'm just I I don't have the confidence like I just I don't I mean if they're si- if they're seven and five you know what is South Carolina and is Will Muschamp even deserve to have a job anymore like if they're seven and five what does that mean Missouri's done like if they're seven and five does that mean t- Tennessee's missed a bowl in year two under Jeremy Pruitt, it's just a there's just a lot of a lot of parity in the East to the extent of to to the, to the extent where I don't know that I'm comfortable picking any East teams uh, aside from maybe you know maybe Georgia, um, but uh, hey, have at it. Coming up on the other side, when totals locks rolls on next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? 
How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, just before the break, you uh, you threw out a comment, Tom, that's going to lead me to, uh, to, to my next pick. I agree with you. I believe that Mississippi State is uh, is is probably going to take not a major step back, but a slight step back. And sometimes, you know, the in line Barton with what you just said, the the pick for a team can also have a lot to do with the rest of the division. And so, with with Mississippi State, I'm thinking. And by the way, the number that I've got here is eight, and I'm going with the under. And that is because I think Alabama over Mississippi State is a lock. I think um, LSU over Mississippi State is a lock. I think Auburn over Mississippi State is a lock. I think Texas A&M might, that might be a win, but those are all like great, 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 like potential top 10, top 12, top 15 teams. And, you know, you lose to those. You could be a great football team and still go and lose those games. And that, gets us to eight and four. So I understand that under eight, like seven and five probably means that there's also been, uh, whether it's Kentucky or whether it's, uh, you know, somebody else on the schedule that that feels like they just kind of got got, got caught slipping. They lost to a team that they should have beat. Like all, all that's in the mix. But when, when I have Mississippi state firmly slotted behind three or four teams within its own division, then I just think nine and three is not within uh, the realistic realm of possibility. And when you're not within the realistic realm of possibility, uh, I like my value here. So I'm going to, I'm expecting a push uh, to be truthful, but uh, when it comes to my confidence, I just feel like I am anti nine win Mississippi state. I'm going Mississippi state under eight. You know what? Mississippi State was not on my card. It was just off the card, but screw it. Let's go. I'm locking it up, too. Lock agreement. Wow. Yeah. Let's go. We're picking locks. I, 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 just, what, what I don't Chip see them getting that was wins. so compelling to you, Tom? Um, I was already leaning that way. Like They were literally the first team I'd left off my card. They were pick number nine. And, yeah, if Chip's doing it, let's do it. I'm down with you, buddy. <laughs> yes. you guys, are, y'all, are you guys... Um, more what what is what is your confidence level lie more in the fact that you think the offense will not have taken the the necessary steps forward or that you or that the defense will have taken uh, a big enough step back i think the defense takes a significant step back i mean that's they lost a lot of 
early NFL draft talent. Yeah, I mean, they lost Abram. They lost Sweat. They're losing Simmons. That's Those are three huge players that, you know, I'm not sure Mississippi State just has three more of those dudes in the cupboard ready to pull out and throw in place. Nine, nine and three in the SEC West? I don't see it. I mean, is so... Unless there's, what, a, a, in, in the, the words of Barton nine, Simmons, unless there's another schedule I'm not looking at. What nine and three in the West would look like would mean that they just beat everyone that they're supposed to, lose to Alabama, lose to LSU, lose to Auburn, and then they and then they would beat the Kentuckys, Tennessees, A and M's of the world. So, I think eight and four sounds like the most reasonable, but I, I I'm I'm less confident in y'all that nine and three is is. Uh, outside the realm. So they were what? They were eight and four regular season a year ago before losing Sweat, Simmons, and Abrams? Mm-hmm. But that was a so right. And and then the thing with Mississippi State is like they were Nick Fitzgerald was not a match for that offense. And is Tommy Stevens a guy that came up with Moat Moorhead for the last couple of years, a guy that Moorhead went out and tried to get from Penn State and a guy who left Penn State to go play for Moorhead despite probably having a starting job at Penn State if he'd stayed. My my inclination is that that guy is an an answer at the quarterback position that they didn't have last year. Now, he that's a big that, that is by no means certainty. Um but that's, I mean, if, if Tommy Stevens could elevate the play and elevate that offense, because the offense was pretty bad in, in, against good teams. If, if he can elevate that offense, then I think that they've got a pretty high, a much higher ceiling. And if he can't, then Joe Moorhead has been, has been uh, misrepresented as the offensive guru. Because, you, know, you, you know, in year two, with, your, with the, your hand-picked quarterback, you should be able to move the football. That middle stretch of the season, Mississippi State, they could start four and zero. Absolutely, four game. Uh, first game is going to be in New Orleans against Louisiana. Southern Miss, Kansas State, Kentucky. I mean, Kansas State and Kentucky, those could be very competitive games. You could be feeling really good about Mississippi State, but then at Auburn, at Tennessee, LSU at home, at Texas A and M, at Arkansas, including Tennessee and Arkansas, I think that those games are potential losses. I mean, I'm not predicting it, but I will say that after crunching my numbers, six and six is more likely than nine and three. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I could see that. I don't, I don't dis. I, don't, I guess I don't hate y'all's pick. I'm just presenting the alternative. Well, you're, you're also, you, you've been excited. You have verbalized your excitement for Tommy Stevens Unchained. So, you get, you, you get I, I actually, it. I wouldn't say I'm excited about it. I would say I am uh, I'm fascinated by how this is going to go. Okay. Uh, all right, Barton, back to you. All right. Um, so I'm trying to decide oh, like when I want to unfurl a little, a, a little um, tandem of picks that are related. I'm going to go – at this point, I'm going to stick with just my, my, my big names. Um, I'm going to go – there's a – the number on Penn State is eight in FanDuel. Uh, 
and I'm going to go over that number. Um, this one is fairly simple. Uh, you know, they were since James Franklin's been there, they've recruited the 21st best class, 20th, then 19th, then 13th. The roster is steadily improving. Um, and this is going to be the most talented roster to, to this point. The quarterback position is a question mark for sure, relative to what we're used to with Trace McSorley. But I think 10 and 2 is much more likely than 7 and 5. I think the defense will be one of the best and most talented in the country. So they'll be in every game, I think. And they do have big plays waiting to happen, whether it's with KJ Hamler, Ricky Slade. Journey Brown at the running back position is is maybe the most athletic of the bunch, uh, and they have a really good tight end group. So if Sean Clifford is just decent, uh, then this is this this will s- kind of has a chance to be one of the sneaky good teams in the country. Um, so I like Penn State to go over eight, and I'll say this too, Tom. Yes. <laughs> Uh, our Michigan State rivalry uh, is you have oh. you've you have helped convince me that perhaps I'm a little misguided on Michigan State. Yes, and Penn State is taking the place of Michigan State in the pecking order in the Big Ten East in my expectations this year. You can't see it, but there are tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I trust this team more. And James Franklin is like, I trust James Franklin. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was with you. I was with you till that last (laughs) part. I was right there with you riding shotgun. I'm all about this Penn State team because of the players on the field, not because of the uh, in-game coaching of James Franklin. No, I'm not talking in-game coaching, though. I'm more talking about just generally not letting your program slip. Sure. In terms of just level of focus uh i'm not talking about in-game coaching but this but again i have a hard time seeing james franklin letting this program slip to seven and five i agreed i've i've got him i think i've got him finishing nine and three in my projections but yeah i'm not locking it up yeah and i i totally agree with you they are in my opinion the third best team in the big 10 east and i think how about this if you put penn state in the big 10 west this year i think they win the division yeah, so, I was going to say, they might be the third best team in the Big Ten period. Yeah, so I'm rocking, rocking there with you. Not locking it, but uh, I'm, I'm right there with you on your mentality. Uh, Tom. All right, well, I took Mississippi State under. The, uh, listeners may have noticed that was the first actual under I locked up, which may have come as a surprise based on my previous history here. But I've got my first original under. West Virginia, under five and a half. Whew. Just... I have some serious questions about this team heading into the season. I mean, first of all, Dana got out while the getting was good. All right. And he knew it was coming. He knew that if he stayed for another year, he could get fired if and not just be able to find another job like Houston, where he's able to walk in and probably be ready to keep winning. But everybody's gone from that team. It's not just Will Greer. It's not just, you know, David Sills. There are only three starters back on offense. 
Now, the good news is two of them, I believe, are offensive linemen, but that's still, you know, three new starters on the offensive line, a brand new coach, a brand new system, a lot of inexperienced players. And you're in a conference that honestly, between Oklahoma at the top and Kansas at the bottom, there's a lot of parity. So it's not like there are a ton of easy wins on the schedule for West Virginia. And West Virginia, looking at their schedule, I feel like they're a team that I think most of the other Big 12 teams are going to get a win against this season. So when I see, you know, five and a half, I think West Virginia is a five and seven team this year. I don't think it's going bowling. I think it could be a four and eight team if things don't go to plan because, you know, there's going to be the transition. So I am not high on the Mountaineers into 2019. So I'm locking up the under five and a half. Uh I'm, I can I can roll with it, Barton. You got any uh, any qualms there? Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think that they're, the only reason I would hesitate is just because Neil Brown's a good coach. But Neil Brown is he's good. He's a program builder. It's not going to be you know he's not the type of guy that just goes in with the quick fix. He's he's doing it the hard way and the right way. So no, I'm I'm good with that. Um, I'm going to then follow that up with an under that operates with some of the same uh, some of the same principles in that. You've got uh, a lot of you've you've got a lot of teams that are going to be fighting for those those middle spots in that in that bloated middle of the Big Twelve, and I think that for while while the uh, non-con does provide an opportunity to pick up a couple couple fast wins, I think that I'm jumping on the under. I've got this number at six and a half for Matt Wells in year one with Texas Tech. Get, can Matt Wells get this team? Uh, to a bowl game, yes, but that would even be a one-win improvement uh, from where the Red Raiders were a year ago. Plus, you've got the transition from Cliff Kingsbury, and if uh, I, th- I think that it was the the Baylor argument, where it's like, all right, you know, if if Matt Rule continues to have linear trajectory, then someone else has got to start taking losses. You know, if if you've got uh, an Oklahoma State team that you think is going to be able to to have a little bit of a bounce back and a little bit of a step forward, well, then someone's got to go and take those losses. And now all of a sudden, I find myself slotting Kansas State closer to West Virginia and Kansas and maybe Kansas State too in what is the bottom half of that league. And so at six and a half, I think that at Arizona game, I am marking that as a loss. I am recognizing that that is probably a swing game on my prediction here. If they go to Arizona and win, then I'm going to be sweating uh, whether or not I can hit this under. But at six and a half, year one with the new coach post Cliff, uh, sure they can make a bowl game. But uh, I still like the value on the under. I think five and seven or six and six much more likely uh, than seven and five or eight and four. Texas Tech yeah, under. It, it's not lock agreement, but Texas Tech and West Virginia were the two teams that I was kind of going back and forth on which Big Twelve team I was going to include on my card. But fun little note when I was doing my projections for this year in the Big Twelve. I have four teams in the conference winning two games or fewer in conference play. I mean, TCU is good. Iowa State mm-hmm. is good. Oklahoma State's good. Baylor's good. The losses are there. Yeah. Somebody's uh, got to be the, you know, the fodder. I, I would say this about Texas Tech, though. The of, of the four new coaches in the Big 12, I think that Texas Tech is the best roster Um that any of those four coaches inherited and i think he's they've got the highest win total you know like the west virginia number was five and a half texas tech's number six and a half kansas kansas state closer to that like three four range so yeah that's they they are in the best position 
but I, I still think that this is an under for me. Lock it. Barton? Uh, I'm going over a small number here. Uh, the Oregon State win total is at two. If you are willing to play over two for Oregon State, you could have a push by week three. You got to get them to beat Cal Poly, and you got to get them to beat Hawaii. I don't even know if they'll be favored against Hawaii, but they can certainly beat Hawaii. And here's why I think they can win those two games and and catch someone else along the way. Um, I think offensively, Jonathan Smith is a good coach. Um, I mean, we saw what he did at, at Boise State in Washington. Uh, we saw what Washington looked like last year without him, frankly. Uh, and they put up a lot of points last year. But here's the other thing. They return, Oregon State returns 11 of the top 12 tacklers. They return all their rushing yards. They return eight of, the t- uh, eight of their top nine pass catchers. Uh, they return on defense, David Morris, who was hurt last year, who was a really good true freshman two years ago. They have start. They have projected starters that transferred in from Oklahoma and Addison Gums, former four-star. Avery Roberts from Nebraska, former Three high three, four-star kid, good player. Tajon Lindsey from Nebraska, top 100 guy. Nathan Eldridge from Arizona, multi-year starter there. So the, the roster, I think, is not as bad as people perceive it to be given what their record and, and what they looked like last year. So I, I'm just, I, think that they get a, I think they get a push in week three, and then I think I don't know who they beat, but I think just somewhere else along the way, Oregon State pulls an upset, gets the three wins, book it. I'm I'm not betting on Oregon State this year, but I will send a shout out to Jermar Jefferson, the best running back most of the country's never heard of. Yeah, there Jermar Jefferson's nasty. Um, yeah, not <laughs> not riding with you, but uh, I when when we when we come back. And uh, we're we're gathering together for you know one of these November uh, November locks pods, and and you start trotting out how this is a trap game for Arizona State coming into Corvallis <laughs> on November sixteenth. I'll know what you're trying to speak into existence. Hey, look, if they lose to if they lose at Hawaii, then uh, then I'm going to be down on the dumps because that's going to be I, I don't know. I see two wins along the way. But but maybe one. So that's that's a big one. That's a big week. Uh, I think it's week three. Because the game of the year for Barton. So, right. so what? <laughs> Oregon State. What what would we think are like some of the? It feels like the winnable opportunities for Oregon State are on the road because they've got UCLA, Cal, and Arizona on the road, and then they host Stanford, Utah, and Washington. Got to be yeah. Got to be a giant uh, killer. I mean, when you're when you're Oregon State. You know, you, you're trying to catch people sleeping regardless. So I don't think it, it doesn't matter to me whether it's on the road or at home. Uh, you know, you just want a sleepy atmosphere uh, where maybe the, the fraternity parties are running a little late. No one's quite showing up at the game. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll take that on the road. The key to Barton's pick will be whether or not Oregon State plays in one of those 9 a.m. local time games the Pac-12 is thinking about. <laughs> I'll take 9 a.m. local or... Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Either way is fine with me. <laughs> uh, all right, Tom. Uh, I'm going to the American Athletic Conference again. I am taking Tulsa under four and a half. Uh, it's just, I mean, 
going through again when I'm doing all my projections, when I'm coming up with what Tulsa's got to do and I'm looking at that team, I just have a hard time finding five wins. This is a team that's got one of the least experienced offensive lines in the country. And while I like other parts of the offense going through the schedule, like I said, I just I could see a path to five wins. I just don't see it happening consistently. There's just so many unknowns there that they have to be proved that they're to me they're better because I look at their first three games of the year. At Michigan State, probably a loss. At San Jose State, should be a win, but it's also on the road, so we can't you know, just assume it's going to be. Then they get Oak State at home. That's going to be a loss. Wyoming, they could win at home, but Wyoming I don't think is a horrible team by far. And then in conference, they've got SMU on the road, Cincinnati on the road, Tulane on the road, and ECU on the road. So a lot of those games would be what you would consider your typical winnable games. But with Tulane on the road and ECU on the road, they become more difficult. SMU on the road becomes more difficult. And their home slate is very difficult. They get Navy, which they could win because Navy's been on a downward trend. But other than that, it's Memphis. It's UCF. It's Houston. There's a very good chance that in conference play, this is a team that goes, you know, one and three at home, which makes it a lot harder to get to five and six wins. Yeah, it's hard to find the wins on that schedule, too. I agree. They do have Zach Smith coming in at quarterback, who is a Art Bryles pick at Baylor. Uh, who's reuniting with an Art Browse protege and Philip Montgomery at uh, Tulsa. So I think their offense may be capable of surprising some people because um, they really haven't had an elite thrower the last few years. So I- I'll be interested in whether that can um, can can you know stimulate things a little bit, uh, but. I, you know, as you were talking, I was looking at the schedule, and I, I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to pick out. This has got to be one of the tougher schedules in the AAC. I mean, they got mm-hmm. Michigan State non-conference, they got Oklahoma State non-conference, uh, and then they, you know, and then they've got the Cincy, Memphis, Tulane, US, UCF, Houston, and East Carolina may not be that bad this year either. So, yeah, I, in terms of just the schedule, I'm with you. Hard to find the wins. I've got a pair of. Uh... I'm I'm gonna package these two together because it's it's kind of been you know it's been themed out. We've been, been talking about it on CBS Sports HQ, been talking about it here on the podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call these the put your money where your mouth is locks. Auburn over seven and a half, USC over seven. There we go. There's my boy. I mean, I if if I didn't at least put these down on the record, given how much I've been talking about future. Pac-12 champion USC Trojans, college football playoff attendees, USC Trojans, or uh, this 10-win Auburn team. If I didn't lock it up, who am I? So, I mean, do do we need to break it down? I feel like I've been pretty bullish on on both these across all platforms. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, no. I agree with, you know, uh, good luck. Good luck in your USC journey. Uh, I've been on that ride before. Uh, there's gonna be some twists and turns, but you'll, you'll get through. <laughs> uh, all right, Barton, back to you. Uh, all right, uh, Chip, I'm going your your neck of the woods. I'm taking North Carolina's number was is at five or at Westgate. I'm going under five. Um, a cu- you know, couple things that concern me. One, the schedule. I mean, South Carolina has to win that game. Like they they have to win that game. South Carolina wins. Uh, App State and Mercer are the other two. They'll be Mercer, but App State that is a 
that is not the non-conference game I would want if I'm Mac Brown in year one. Um, so, you know, maybe they go one and two, maybe they go two and one. But the other concern here is quarterback play has been a problem in North Carolina. And from just the early returns from preseason practice, it doesn't sound like it's like significantly improved yet. It sounds like they've still got some struggles at the quarterback position. And Sam Howell, the true freshman, is not sort of the, 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 the quick fix. Jace Reuter, as talented and athletic as he is, not much of a thrower. And, and I just think uh, the, the upside's not there with the other kid, Cade Fortin. So I, you know, I don't know who's going to be the starter, but no, no one that I'm confident in. Then you get these two kind of big-name coordinators. You get Jay Bateman from, from Army, who is the hot name. You get Phil Longo from Ole Miss, who was the, you know, the number four offense in the country last year in yards per play. But keep this in mind. Jay Bateman was the defensive coordinator for Army, who was number one in the country in time of possession. Phil Longo had the number 116 team in the country in time of possession. It's going to be a little different mix of styles here. Two guys that, that you know, they may be able to coordinate their, their, their units, but they haven't uh, – seen those two sort of mesh together yet and and then there's phil longo who just got all these guys drafted in the first and second round of the nfl draft or whatever it was top three rounds and and their offense was explosive and dynamic but when they played teams that were they, they averaged 7.12 yards per play last year fourth in the country when they played teams that were with equal or more talents on defense they had 4.2 yards per play against Bama, 4.7 against LSU, 5.2 against Auburn, and 3.5 against Mississippi State. All of those were among the lowest that all of those programs produce in terms of their opponents, too. So it wasn't like they were just holding everybody to four yards per play. So all that to say, this is going to be a, uh, an offense that without a talent advantage in a conference where they may have to – they may struggle a little bit um, – I just don't have confidence in North Carolina getting to a bowl in year one under Mac Brown. I think there's too much work to be done, so I'm going under five. I'm not locking it up, but it's a pretty safe pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, last year's quarterback that didn't work is playing linebacker now. <laughs> that is my favorite factoid that I just learned recently from you, Chip, that of, of the entire offseason so far. <laughs> Chaz Surratt. Is playing linebacker. Not safety. Not no. a quarterback moving to safety. No. A quarterback moving to linebacker. Right, right, right. Which, which again, is not talking about the quarterback position as much as what, the, what this UNC defense might look like getting off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, yeah. I, just don't think that, I just don't think this defense is very meaty right now. And, uh, and, and, and it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting. To see what happens like look i mean mac brown recru- recruited a lot of great uh when he, his first time at carolina he recruited a lot of great like defenses they were they were built on having good defensive linemen good linebackers but uh but that's not what larry fedora brought into chapel hill so uh yeah i i, I agree it's it seems like a pretty safe pick all right tom okay i'm i'm returning to the american athletic conference yet again gracious UCF over nine. Okay. It's 
listen, the Knights are not going to be undefeated again. They are not going to be in the college football playoff discussion. I expect them to lose a game, possibly early. I even expect them to lose a second one at some point. But most of everybody from last year's team is back. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton is not. But Brandon Wimbush might not be the greatest quarterback in the country, but he's got plenty of experience and he got it playing at Notre Dame in a lot of big games. So I don't think that there's going to be a huge drop off. And plus, as we've seen with that offense, you know, it's it can be plug and play at times. So, but at the end of the day, really, for what it comes down to me with this total at nine, are you really going to tell me that UCF at eight and four is more likely than UCF at 10 and two? Because I, I don't think that's the case. I feel like this is an easy over. Mm, if come on chip bring it no bring no, it. no 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 I've, I've i've still got other plays here uh i just that i mean that's that's a lot if brandon wimbush ends up being the quarterback for all 12 games i do think the possibility of this going under is higher and and uh we threw this out talking about ucf before if brandon wimbush has a really good season then that speaks uh that speaks a lot to josh heupel as a as a quarterback as a um, you know, as, as an offensive mind and as a developer of quarterbacks and as a, as, as a strong replacement for Scott Frost because there, I, I was not buying into the, the Josh hype. Oh, get it. And I don't think, no, explain it. Yeah. So, and I, I think that I've been waiting for the drop off to come. And if this, if things just continue, even with Wimbush, uh, who has proven to have some limitations, then, I, I will be very impressed, and I will silence uh, my criticism or doubt. Brunelli, you got some serious exposure in the AAC here, man. Like, I do. I'm going to be watching a lot of AAC football. I mean, if, if one if one domino falls the wrong way, if somehow Tulsa ends up being like a nine win team out of nowhere or something, then you got to <laughs> that's that's going to screw up a lot of stuff for you. So I'm 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 I'll be watching closely here. Um. All right. I this is. So I initially was uh, was you know sitting there. I was like doing all my all my math. I was trying to add it up. I was trying to count it. And I think I like where I've landed, though I understand it's going to be sweaty because I'm not going to play Washington. Instead, I'm going to play Oregon under nine, where I've got the advantage being on the Oregon under of this game against Auburn. So clearly these two things are coordinated. Auburn win total and Oregon win total. Both could go kaput if Justin Herbert uh, leads the Ducks to a win in Arlington in week one. But for this to go over means that I am looking at Mario Cristobal on a, on a schedule that includes some, some pretty tough road tests in conference play and imagining that he's, he's going to be able to guide that Ducks team to a win. And there were just some head scratchers from Oregon last year that kind of lead me to believe that Oregon, while phenomenally talented and, you know, they got a great offensive line and they got a quarterback who's going to the NFL, they are not, um, they are not mistake free. They are, they are not free of just going and, and just laying an egg for a quarter or a half or just, just kind of getting caught, uh, I guess. And so, you know, nine might be a push number for sure. But I just, I don't, this is again an under where I'm taking it and I'm feeling like I don't see 10 and two because, you know, whether it is the, 
the Stanford game, the Washington game, the Auburn game, and then you could throw in like the mystery team that's going to pop up somewhere and just kind of get Oregon along the way that it feels like we've got up to four uh, potential losses. And so therefore I think 10 and two is out of the question. So I'm locking up Oregon under nine. I mean, I'd like that better. I'd like that better if it was under nine and a half. Um, But I do think Oregon strikes me as being a little overhyped by the general national consensus. I'm not a believer quite to the extent that the rest of the country is, but I think nine and three is still well within the cards and, and you're still pushing there. Um, but, um, but yeah, this will be a, this will be a big year for Marcus Arroyo, their offensive coordinator. At Stanford, at Washington, at USC, at Arizona State, and then the Auburn game. Tough schedule. Mm-hmm. You got a lot riding on that Auburn game. <laughs> a lot riding on that Auburn game. <laughs> That's the way I like it. Um, all right, Barton, back to you. Uh, all right. You guys ready to go on a little a mustached joyride? Yes. A, a Have little, I ever uh, not been ready? A little, <laughs> little, goat, little goatee fun here. Uh, this is what I call the, the fade Brian Van Gorder pair. <laughs> all right. So we're going first in the fade Van Gorder pair. We're going Bowling Green under three. Brian Van Gorder is a defensive coordinator. Um, I don't think anything else needs to be said. Oh, Scott Leffler's side of it. Scott Leffler's the head coach. That needs so to be said. The, so Scott Leffler needs to be explained a little bit. Okay. Uh, I am. I've. He did not inspire me in his press conference, and I'm a big press conference guy. Um, big press conference aficionado over here. Uh, came away uninspired. Uh, I think I've broken this down before on the pod, but I'll rehash quickly. Uh, he was office coordinator at Temple. They were 65th in the country before he got there on offense, 35th when he got there and 99th after. That was the year, I guess, his entire career has been built off of. Auburn, 75th in yards per play before, 90th during, 8th after. Virginia Tech, 97th in yards per play before, during, 107, 108, and 92, 68th after. BC, 124th in yards per play before, during, 126, 109, 93. <laughs> the guy, I mean, I, he's just not like a, an offensive coach that gives you results. So now he's coming to Bowling Green, which has been running an air raid system in the Cliff Kingsbury uh, mold, and he's going to try to insert instill this power pro style, I guess, offense that he's been running at BC and Virginia Tech. I, I'm, uh, you know. Good luck. Uh, they got they got a MEAC team on the schedule who's eighth who's picked eighth preseason in Morgan State. So they should win that. But they ain't beating Louisiana Tech. They're not beating Notre Dame. They're not beating Kansas State. They got Toledo and Western Michigan coming from the cross of the division. So then they got to go three and five, beating both Akron and Kent State and someone else from the MAC. Uh, I I just don't I don't see it. I'm good with the under here. Three. Lock agreement. Lock there unity. There we go. Yes. I knew Brian Van G could bring us all together. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, like honestly, you could have just said their head coach is Scott Loeffler and their defensive coordinator is Brian Van Gorder, and I think everybody would have known exactly why we're going on the under. No, but thank thank you for detailing the before and after for Loeffler because I needed to hear those numbers aloud to confirm, just to make sure that I hadn't, you know, just sort of talked myself into existence from the jokes because whether it's been Auburn or Virginia Tech or Boston College. I feel like I've been intimately close with fan bases where just speaking his name makes people spit out their drink in disgust. Let's get mad. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's, it's like what, I don't know. I guess Bowling Green, like, I, I don't know what their options were as a head coach for the head coaching job, but where, like, what is the, what's the PowerPoint presentation that tells you that this guy's your man? I don't I've know. I've coached in it. all these places. No. <laughs> don't don't look behind the curtain but i coached at this school and this school right. and this school so i mean <laughs> you're bowling green i've been to virginia tech um so do you want the do you do you want the um the the sister pick the partner pick to my brian van gorder fade absolutely my 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 other um more passive brian van gorder fade is louisville over three and a half that team was awful last year. Awful. But they had totally and completely quit. Like there was the coaches had quit, the players had quit, the the they they had stopped filling out the team chart in the in the in the locker room where you have the goals for each week whether you won the turnover battle or won the third down battle you know, that you sit up there and you, you walk into the weight room every day and you see how you did the week before. By the end of the season, they just stopped filling it out. <laughs> they weren't even put, they weren't even updating it. Like, no one was... And, and did you see the, the quotes from um, some of these guys from, like, the media day? They were saying that, like, they had never been in the coach's offices before yeah. uh, Scott Satterfield had gotten there. They had never been to a coach's house. Like, that team was so beaten down. And this was a team that I think the win total preseason last year was was eight, seven and a half, something like that. Um, and so when you're talking about a team that just like they have some talent, they got a really good wide receiver core, they got a quarterback that is talented. He's he's beaten down from a confidence standpoint, but there's still something in there. Um, they returned ten starters on defense. I know it was a bad defense, but. Uh, all that to say, I think in some ways this is an an easy fix at Louisville because all you got to do is just get these guys to start believing a little bit. And that's what Scott Satterfield can do well. They'll beat Eastern Kentucky. They'll beat Western Kentucky. They got to go two and seven the rest of the way. Uh, Clemson is not winnable, so we'll call it they got to go two and six the rest of the way. And uh, I think they find two more wins somewhere. Good luck. I'm uh, I, I, I'm a Scott Satterfield fan, and and that would certainly be uh, you know those that would be great, but I do feel like that's uh that's one of those programs where it's like what would coach 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 what would uh what would define a winning season what what define success for you? Well, I'll just tell you what we're just trying to get better every day, every single week and every single day. That's all we're counting. Not wins, not losses, just getting better. Right? Okay. That's exactly what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, there's no question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I like it, but I will not be locking it up. Tom. All right. My final pick 
Sorry to do this to you, Barton. I know it hits close to home. But I'm taking Vanderbilt under five. It's just, if you look at this team, I mean, I love Keyshawn Vaughn at running back who has made pretty much his brand as being a good running back at, for schools. Nobody really pays attention. I like Lipscomb at receiver. I think they have some talent coming back on offense. It's just they also lose a four-year starter at quarterback in Shermer. They're losing three offensive linemen from last year's you know, OL. That defense last year wasn't very good to begin with, and they lost a lot of the key players on that defense. But, hey, maybe that works the other way. Maybe that's actually a good thing. But it's just getting past that. This is also a program that recruiting-wise has been at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC. And it's hard enough to win in the SEC on its own when you when you have the worst-ranked recruiting class year after year. You really have to have a coaching advantage that I don't think – I think Derek Mason's a good coach. I don't think he has as huge of an advantage over the rest of the SEC to make up enough ground for that. And you look at the schedule. Non-conference, they've got a road game against Purdue. That's going to be difficult. They get Northern Illinois in Nashville, but Northern Illinois has shown it's, it's be able to beat – it can pop up and beat an SEC team for once in a while. And UNLV should be a win. But then you get into – and Eastern Tennessee. But you get into the SEC schedule. They open the year with Georgia. And like I said, they're on the road to Purdue. Then they're back home for LSU and then NIU. And at Ole Miss, winnable, but I'd rather have that game in Nashville than Oxford. Mizzou at home, South Carolina on the road, Florida on the road, Kentucky at home, and then you finish up on the road against Tennessee. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be a horrible team, but it's just when you look at, you know, at five, I feel like I'm getting a push at absolute worst here. I don't think this is a bowl team in 2019. No, I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you there. I, I, I mean, the the hype around Vanderbilt surrounds the three these three skill players, and they are three legit skill players. But y- you don't win in the SEC by having three skill players. No, you know, you win by having offensive line and defensive linemen that can can mash people. And I don't think Vanderbilt has either of those things. Um, so I am. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting year for them because it's hard for me to envision a season where Keyshawn Vaughn isn't just running wild to some degree. Uh, but I, I also have a hard time envisioning six wins as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that pick. Uh, my final pick that I'm going to roll on out there is, uh, is going to be going back to the pack 12 where I'm seeing, uh, a lot of, a lot of teams that in the pack 12 South, where I, I kind of expect to see some improvement. I expect to see some some steps forward. And so, therefore, with Colorado, who draws Nebraska in the non-con as one of their three non-con games, with Colorado, with Colorado sort of slotted, in my opinion, right there in the bottom, bottom tier, I will be going under four and a half for the Buffs. So, this is actually one that I was very close to playing the over on. Uh, at four, I was very tempted to play in the over. I, it's on the cutting room floor. I'm not playing it, but I, I think Colorado might be being slept on a little bit. I, I mean, think guess, I think Lavis I think Lavisca the, is going to be a great player to watch on a four and eight team. <laughs> you have the arguably the best player in the conference in Lavisca Chenault. You have a top tier QB in the conference in Steven Montez, and you have. I, I just think when you're talking about like is are they a three win team this year? I just I think they're better than that. I just do. I, so I I this is not one that I I would jump on 
Um, this is I, I'm I. This was almost a lock fight, but I'm not going to do it. Um, I, go ahead. I was, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Colorado since I was a kid because they have a buffalo running on the field, and that was always cool. So I hope they go over, but I'm, I'm more agreeing with Chip here. I think this is more of an under for uh for a team from the Pac-12 South. The about the worst draw that you can ask for in terms of rotating from the Pac-12 North is a schedule that does not include Oregon State or Cal. And yep. Co- Colorado does not have Oregon State or Cal on its yeah, schedule. And so that's, I just, I think it's going to be tough to find the win. I mean, Colorado State, Nebraska Air Force is a challenging non-con, and then there is not one surefire win in conference play. But I just think that uh, the Colorado, like why do we think this Colorado team... Is, is is Nebraska going to be that much more improved to where like that's not a winnable game for Colorado? I'm not saying like they'll be they'll be underdogs, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but they could beat Nebraska. Yeah, they could. I mean, they and I think that's the case for a lot of like the Arizonas, the Arizona States, the even the USC's. Like, I think most of those teams in the South they can beat. You know, how many of them can they can they knock off? I think probably not many but i think they may be able to knock off enough to get over four um but um but i'll be rooting for you chip because i'm not on it the defensively like we want mel tucker to step in and and get them uh hard-nosed and toughen them up and and create that kind of culture but i don't know if the personnel right there now is set up for that i just think it might take time Year one coach in a division with a bunch of year twos that are trying to take some steps forward. Four, five and seven, that'd be a five and set going over here at five and seven, I think would be a great sign for Colorado moving forward. I think Mel Tucker is is going to be a successful coach eventually. I just don't think it's going to come here in year one. Uh, Barton, what you got left? Uh, so I was... I got one more that I'm that I'm pulling off the cutting room floor just because I don't want to be you know you guys have a lot more than me I feel like I need one more just to to keep pace so I'm gonna go over the nine for Utah oh. kind of like your Arizona and uh, well, no I'm sorry not Arizona it's kind of like your USC Auburn picks chip it's like I'm out there. I be, you know, I think this Utah team is going to be really 11 good. Eleven and one, Barton Simmons. Eleven and one, Utah Utes, two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I, this is my least favorite one of the plays because I'm just sitting here like, and it's just that you know, nine and nine and three seems very reasonable. It's more about uh, not seeing an eight and four team, uh, and this off this defensive line being good enough. Certainly, the the, the front four being good enough, um, and and Tyler Huntley being good enough with that run game to just and I, and I just I mean when you look at Utah's schedule compared to the other programs that like you're you're looking at in that ten or eleven win range and it's like there's there's I mean Utah could could be favored in every game they play I mean I will see what happens at Washington but I would say right now I would assume they'd be favored in eleven um, so with that said. Just to throw another log on the fire, I'm gonna go over nine for Utah. Wait, wait, money where your money where your mouth is, pick. I love it. Uh Tom, you got anything else? 
No, Tom's tapped. Tom's tapped. Do we want to listen to the lock fight sound just to set the tone for uh, for the season? I am a little sad we didn't have one. It's like I almost wanted to just take Utah under nine now just, just for the lock fight, but I don't. I don't really believe it. So, fight, 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 fight. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna have a few of those worry boys. Yeah. Um, this this is awesome. So again, let's let's back up. There will be a <laughs> there will be an abbreviated locks, but I mean we got we got multiple week zero games, so we're going to be uh like I'm we're we're getting backed into corners. We're making some picks. Uh so we will be back for a week zero locks next Thursday. Make sure that you sub- subscribe so that you can get that delivered to your uh mobile device or wherever you listen to your podcast instantly. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons, you can follow him at Tom Vernelli, you can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, it feels so good to be back. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.